Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashen. Thank you for tuning in today. A little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Be sure to visit our website, b'naibrith.org, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. Well, nearly 100 years after his death, legendary illusionist and escape artist Harry Houdini continues to cast a spell over loyal fans worldwide. In his new book, The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini, author Joe Posnansky unpacks both Houdini's fascinating biography and how Houdini's legacy has influenced individuals who have sought to follow in Houdini's footsteps as magicians. Now, Joe comes to this book with a distinguished sports writing background. He's a senior writer at The Athletic and has written five books, including the number one New York Times national bestseller, Paterno. Joe was named National Sports Writer of the Year by the Sports Writers and Sportscasters Hall of Fame in 2012. Joe, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. So as a well-known writer with an immense expertise in sports, how did you get interested in Houdini? Yeah, that is that is the question, right? That is the, the question I get asked the most. And it's, it is a little bit of a sports story uh, for me. I uh, was, you know, looking to see what my next book would be. And one of the suggestions to me was that I would write a, a book, a, a biography about Babe Ruth. And uh, it was, uh, you know, an interesting enough idea, but I, it wasn't something that that really captured my imagination. But as I spent time thinking about it, I, I thought, well, what is it about Babe Ruth that still interests me and still interests people in general uh, all these years later? And, and I thought, you know, there's this, the, he had this capacity to inspire wonder in people. And, and it's a capacity that I don't know that we, we have as much of in, in today's world. And, you know, but in his time, he was able to do that. And, and I, I was really fascinated by that idea of inspiring wonder. And, and I wanted to write about that, write about someone who has inspired wonder and through the years, uh, and what we can pick up from them, what we can learn from them. And to me, the, the ultimate example of that is, is Harry Houdini. Here he is almost 100 years after his death, uh, more than 100 years since his most famous uh, escapes, um, almost 150 years after he was born. And he's still world-renowned. He's still, everybody knows Harry Houdini. He still comes up in daily conversation. I, I uh, mentioned this in the book. I, when I started writing the book, I put together a Google News alert so that every time Houdini's name was mentioned, uh, I would get an alert. And I have gotten an alert every single day since I started. That was more than three years ago. He's He is mentioned in a newspaper, in a magazine, in a story somewhere in the world every single day and, and often, you know, 20, 30, 40 times uh, in a day. And uh, I, I wanted to know, I wanted to understand what it is. I, I personally like magic. I personally uh, was a fan of Houdini's, but what is it about this person uh, all these years later that still captures our imagination? I just want to go back to sports for a second, Joe. Um, 
can you or have you found any affinities between athletics and the the skills and strength needed to create the illusions for which he was so uh, widely and uh, globally applauded? No question. I mean, when you talk specifically about Houdini, you know, the world's of magic and sports tend to be pretty separate. You know, one of the things that that uh, I was told very early on in my reporting was that being a sports writer would do me very little good in the magic world because those those are two Venn diagrams that don't really cross very much. Uh, but specific to Houdini, there's no question. In, in many ways, I think of him uh, even more as an athlete than a pure magician. He was he was someone who who you know did great feats of strength. He was an athlete himself when he was young. He was a boxer. He was a swimmer. He was a runner. Uh, the things that he did, escaping from handcuffs, escaping from boxes, jumping into, you know, into rivers off of bridges. I mean, these were athletic feats. And and the what what really drove Houdini were, was this sort of athletic. Uh, I can beat you. You know, it was it was a contest. You were trying to lock him up, and he was trying to get out. And and everything. Uh, that drove him in in his in his profession was built around that athletic I can win I will win and and so yes I saw a lot of real close connections between him that would not necessarily be true of a of a, a card magician or a stage magician or or someone it wouldn't be necessarily true of Penn and Teller for instance but but of Houdini yeah I think he was he was an athlete so who was this man is it uh possible to separate the the facts from the fiction in terms of of his exploits now just going back he was born eric weiss um yeah. he um was born in hungary um and then where does it lead to from there what was the uh, the path uh or how early was it that he entered the path to uh, fame and fortune it's funny that you should you should mention that about him being born in, in Hungary, which he was in Budapest, um, because it took 50 years for people to to figure out that that was true. This is so you ask about, you know, trying to connect his, you know, separate fact and fiction with Houdini. Almost impossible to do. Uh, he, he built a life uh, that was mysterious and and he hid much of himself and and created legends for himself that were very very hard to unravel he always told people he was born in appleton wisconsin and he and he told that so often that many many years after his death uh, a magic uh, organization put together what they called the houdini birth committee and they traveled around the world to find out where he really was born so uh so so that tells you so it was very challenging and it remains very challenging to know what is real and what is uh, what is uh, myth and and legend and because it was all created by him it wasn't it, it was something that he he invented this character Harry Houdini um, his his personal journey is exactly as you said he, he he was born in Hungary he moved to Wisconsin to Appleton Wisconsin where his fa- father was the rabbi of the of the local uh, temple which had not yet been built so he was the first rabbi in Appleton, Wisconsin, and and he was the rabbi for for about three or four years uh, when he was let go, at which point he spent the rest of his life really trying to find work. And, and they moved to Milwaukee and to New York, and he was sort of a, a uh, you know, he would do rabbinical, you know, types of, of things, but he never found another congregation. 
and Houdini grew up in great poverty. He was Eric Weiss at the time. And when he was, when his father died, he was 16 years old and he, they were living in New York and he had fallen in love with magic. He had read a book by the great magician, uh, Robert Houdin and, uh, and fell in love with it. And with a friend decided that they would try to become magicians themselves. And they, and they loved the book so much by Robert Houdin that they added an I to his last name, Udon. Uh, they thought it was Houdin. They added an I and and became the Houdini brothers. And so it was really at when he was about 16 or 17 years old, uh, he always had interest in performing. He, he, he wanted to run away with a circus. He wanted to do all these things. But becoming a magician and, and, and setting himself on that path happened when he was uh, about 16 or 17 years old. So you had to do a lot of detective work. I mean, if the Appleton, Wisconsin story is, is, uh, is as you've said, I mean, it's uh, uh, trying to kind of hide, I guess, certain parts of it uh, in order to uh, fit uh, a certain mold. Um, how many doors did you have to knock on to, uh, to get the, the real story? It was, it was a lot of doors. It was a lot of books. It was a lot of uh, uh, newspaper articles. You know, it was, it, it's a, it was so fun. It was such a fun journey because he, he created the, this mythology. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was so much uh, him trying to hide from the past. I think it was about trying to create this larger than life story. I, I think that was, he, he had this idea of who Harry Houdini was. And Harry Houdini was, uh, an American born in in you know the the scenic little town of Appleton, Wisconsin, and and Houdini was this this person born to greatness. He he was unlocking locks when he was an infant. He was he was uh, you know making they, they used to in in Appleton they used to have a tour of of uh, it was called a Houdini tour and it would be downtown and and the the, the person would say. See all of these doors. Houdini, when he was young, for for mischief, would come in and unlock all these doors and and move things around from door. Which it wasn't true, but it was part of part of this myth that Houdini had created. Um, so it was it was a lot of work, um, but it was all so much fun because because what he did was so. I mean, he was so. It's timeless. It's absolute. That's why we still know Houdini today in so many ways is because he insisted on it. He insisted on creating this legend that would be irresistible for decades and centuries to come. And, and, uh, and he was very successful doing it. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Babe Ruth as a, a subject that you, you might have pursued. Um, I guess that, that Houdini and Babe Ruth, and we could probably uh, mention others, in that era— um, there was, you know, I'm sure they didn't use the word, we use it today, you know, branding and marketing. Uh, but there were celebrities who, who had a pretty good sense of themselves and um, the impact that they were making, whether it be in entertainment or sports or in, in any other field. And um, without, um, you know, a bevy of uh, business advisors and, and others and business plans, they were able to uh, to create a persona and create a career. Would you say that's really the case here? Oh, yeah. You, you, you could not have nailed that more. He, he, Houdini was a genius of marketing, a genius of promotion, and had a sense of promotion, as, as more than one person told me as I was writing this book, that was not really of his time. It was, it was of today. They, he had this very modern sense of 
how to sell tickets, how to promote himself, how to go viral before before anything. I mean, there wasn't even radio at that time. I mean, this was this was a time when there were only newspapers. But but there are so many stories of Houdini going to a town once he had become famous, and he would come to a town and he would go to the theater. And he would say to the theater owner, how are we doing? And and the theater owner would say, well, we're about 75% full. And Houdini would go, oh, no, that that will never do. And and then he would go and do something. He would go to the middle of the town and hang upside down from a straitjacket and, and escape. Or he would go to uh, the river and he would jump off a bridge while wearing handcuffs and, and escape. And I mean, he would do something to to always promote himself, to always put himself in the news, to 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 keep his name at the very, very, you know, tip of everybody's tongue. And and it's it was it was unprecedented. I mean, you know, even even PT Barnum, you know, who became so famous for, for this, couldn't really reach those heights that Houdini was able to reach. And it was purely ambition and and you know being super intelligent and creative and and just a willingness to do whatever he needed to do uh, to to keep his name out there. Well, let's talk about magic and the history of magic. What is it that Houdini did to impact that history so much? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very interesting because many magicians today, uh, there there are some of them that do not particularly like Houdini because they feel like one, they feel like he wasn't a true magician in the sense of of a stage magician, someone who did all of these these extraordinary things that that you know seem impossible. I, I remember one of the people I talked to about this, a magician named Jamie Ian Swiss, said this this fascinating thing. He said, you know, you can't really call Houdini a magician because the magician does the impossible. And I and I said, well, that's ridiculous. Look at all the things Houdini did. Look at all the boxes he escaped, the chains and the jails and the and and all of these things he escaped. And Jamie said, that's amazing, but it's not impossible. And and I thought, well, there is a line. That's a very very interesting line. So so what Houdini did was bring escape into magic. I think if you look at it, I, there were many many great magicians before him. There were many many great magicians during his time, and there have been many great magicians since then. But what Houdini was able to capture was our hunger, uh, and I mean our, like in the in the, the global sense of, of it, because it's true here, and it's true in India, and it's true in Africa, and it's true in South America, I mean, it's true all over, this hunger to be able to escape from from whatever the situation may be, from, from, a, from a sticky, you know, friendship situation to 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 the big things, and and Houdini was able to to capture that hunger and that need and give people an outlet for it because he always did. He always escaped the 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 tagline he had on all of his posters or his best posters. You know, nothing on earth can keep Houdini a prisoner, hold Houdini a prisoner, and and that was his. Um, you know, that was that was not only his calling card. That was. That was his entree into into this world of magic because he wasn't a great card magician. He wasn't someone who who dazzled people on the stage, but nobody could capture that feeling, that ability to escape. And it's why, in no matter what what form you talk about, whether it's in sports and a quarterback gets out of a sack, or it's in politics and a and a politician gets out of a a, a crisis, 
or it's, you know, in newspapers, just recently there was a story of a cat that kept escaping and they called uh, her Houdini cat. So it's no matter what the case may be, when you talk about escape, uh, Houdini was able to capture that. And I think that's that is his place in magic is is his ability to escape. What did you discover about his various exploits and, and how he did them? Uh, that is little known or perhaps entirely new. What did you, any, uh, are there any secrets uh, that, uh, that are revealed? Um, you know, people are always interested in that, but, you know, whenever I hear people asking, how did you do that? I'm not sure I want to hear it because that's the whole yes. idea of the entertainment. <laughs> but did you, did you come up with anything that uh, sheds light on, on how he was able to, to do all of this? There, there are a couple of, let me, let me say up front, there are, there are no secrets in the book. I don't, I didn't want to do that because part of the, the, you know, the, the story for me is about wonder. And, and I don't think that the way to, to talk about wonder, reveal wonder is to, is to give, you know, secrets away. I, the, all of the Houdini secrets, uh, or most of them anyway, are out there to be had if people want to find out how Houdini got out of the water torture cell or, or, or so on. They're out there to be had. But what I do do in this book is I talk at, at, at length about what it is that made Houdini so special and unique. There are a couple of places that I do go into a little bit of how he did it, uh, and, and but I don't do it in order to reveal the secret. Uh, I do it because it reveals something about him as a person. It reveals something about why he still manages to to be in the news all the time, why he has lasted so long. So so there's one wonderful escape he did uh, more than 100 years ago in London where he escaped from these handcuffs that were specially made um, that were impossible to escape from. Uh, they're called the Mirror Cuffs because it was the Daily Mirror in London, the newspaper that challenged him to get out of these handcuffs. and. What I love about that escape, because he, he did many, many escapes like it, but none quite that one, because here we are all these years later, and nobody knows for sure how he did it, even even now. Most of the things that Houdini did, he revealed himself, or his brother revealed, or other people revealed, but this one nobody's ever revealed. And so there are all of these theories about how he did it. Uh, through the years, magicians have always tried to guess, and I take a guess in the book at how he did it. So when it comes to something like that, um, there are you know there are some reveals in the sense of this is how Houdini did a lot of different things. This is what the techniques he used. He he used magical techniques and some that are not so magical. And and so I do dive in to that. Uh, but this is not a book that is is intended to sort of be a how-to you know type of thing that for Houdini. Uh, there have been, you know, like I say, numerous of those books written, but that wasn't the point for this one. You mentioned a brother. What about his personal life? Who were the people close to him, and uh, did they affect his professional life in any way? Very much so. Very much so. And and the, there's one, uh, you know, person that that was the closest to him, and that was his mother, uh, Cecilia. And he he adored his mother and lived for her, essentially. I, you know, his father. Uh, as mentioned, was a rabbi uh, who really struggled to support the family, and and that there was a it's a fascinating relationship between Houdini and his father. You know, his father died when when Houdini was still quite young. He always honored his father. He would say, you know, every year, 
he would light a candle for his father. Um, but but it was but it was a distance. But his mother, he adored her, and everything he always did was to support her, to honor her. He he talked about her at great length. And when she died, um, it it he died a little bit, and and never fully recovered from her death. Uh, you know the the last chapter of, of his life, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, um, was really affected by the death of his mother, and he. Uh, he never got over that. And he said that many, many times. He never got over her death. Um, it, she was she was everything in him for him as a professional and as in a personal life. She inspired him, but she also was the reason he would refuse to stop. he He constantly got kept going because because it was to support his mother to 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 make his mother proud. It was she was definitely the person. Uh, that that had the biggest impact on his life. You know, it's interesting as you read biographies, uh, particularly of immigrants uh, from that era, um, the the issue of of the mother in the family and the place that the mother held um, yes. pops up a, a number of times. It really does. Um, in in this case and in other cases too, where the father dies early or perhaps the father leaves the family, uh, the mother is always central. And when you read, particularly. Uh, about celebrities uh, uh, in the movies and uh, singers and others um, of that era, it, it many times comes back uh, to the strong mother, strong mother in the sense of, you know, keeping everybody together and, and, and protecting her, her family and her children, and also the respect given back uh, by, uh, by the individuals themselves. So that's um, it's interesting, and it's interesting about him, but it's also interesting about, about his, his time. Um, that's true. Now, again... You mentioned uh, the end of his life. Uh, much has been written about Houdini's death, the hows uh, and the whys. What can you tell us about that and uh, about the hours leading up to his final performance? Yes. Well, it's his death has been has been mythologized so many different ways through the years. You know, for many years, I mean, really decades, uh, most people thought Harry Houdini died in the water torture cell because that is how he died in the movie, uh, starring uh, Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh called Houdini. He, they, they didn't believe his real death was worthy of, of such a hero, so they had him die while performing the water torture cell. And, and so many people for, for many years thought that was how he died. It, it was not, it was not even close to how he died, but, um, but that was part of the myth that, that sort of kept the Houdini story going. We've only, you know, recently it's become much more clear. Very few people now seem to think that's how he died. Most people understand he died um, from from complications coming off of appendicitis. But what people remember about this is that Houdini got punched in the stomach uh, a few days before his death. And and the story goes very quickly like this: he was doing, he was in Montreal, and he was doing a an interview with a college newspaper. And this person came in to the room who was, who was you know, uh, another college student, but somebody Houdini seemed to have known. And the, he started turning the whole conversation to asking Houdini, is it true that he had challenged anybody to punch him in the stomach, that he could withstand a punch uh, from anyone? And Houdini didn't want to talk about it. He was, he was already in some pain. He had, he had hurt himself on the stage and, and he was, you know, 52 years old. He was not young anymore. Um, for a performer, and he, he didn't want to talk about it, but the, but the guy was insistent, 
And and finally Houdini said, yes, I can withstand any punch. And he started to stand up. And while he was standing up, the the student punched him in the stomach as many as 10 times. A lot of people think it was only one punch. It was not. It was three very quick punches and then as many as seven more punches, uh, according to the witnesses who were there. And Houdini finally raised his hand and said, that, that'll do. And the punches stopped and, and everything went on. And Houdini went to perform. He, 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 he didn't want to stop, but he was in agony. He was in great pain. So there are those who think the punch is what is what sparked appendicitis. There are many more who think it was not that he already had appendicitis and this just exacerbated it. But in any case, he performed and, and he was running an incredible fever. He was shivering. He could barely go on, but he but he kept going. And then, then the, they went to Detroit and they begged him to go to the hospital and he refused to go. And he went on stage again and collapsed at, at, during intermission went back out even after collapsing, collapsed again during the act, finally taken to the hospital and they had his appendix removed, but by then it was too late. And, and so he, he lived on for five more days, uh, but, but eventually succumbed and succumbed on uh, Halloween. So that's, that's another bit of Houdini sort of, you know, that's, that's one of the true myths of Harry Houdini is that, is that he died on Halloween after all of that. Well, Joe, really, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about this American original. Uh, it's it's really uh, it's very interesting material as we look back. Uh, one of the great uh, immigrant uh, figures in uh, American Jewish history and in, in American history. Uh, and uh, we appreciate, uh, first of all, that you took the time to, to do the book and to join us here on the podcast. The book is The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini, published by Simon & Schuster. And I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast today. Please visit our website, benebrit.org, like our Facebook page, and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about us. For my guest, Joe Posnanski, I'm Dan Mary Ashen. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast.